Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Uh, this is not a traditional sermon, so I want to warn you in advance. It's a teaching, it's a lesson. It's a teaching from the interpretation of the scripture that God has given to me. You may need your pen and a paper, or you may need to make notes on your cell phones. Because the, the points I'll be sharing were downloaded into my spirit by the Holy Spirit. And um, I just want you to expect to hear from God. The subject is, comes from Psalm 23, which Pastor Hyacinth read and which you all know. But a very powerful verse in verse 5. He anoints my head with oil, and my cup runs over. I want to ask two gentlemen to come. These two gentlemen right here, will you come up please? Because I brought my oil. <clears throat> I went to the supermarket to get some oil and they sold me this. It says, extra virgin. I have no idea what virgin oil means or extra virgin. But I want you to assume. <laughs> I'm not opening it. I'm not pouring it out, but I want you to assume that I'm pouring, I'm anointing your head with it. I want you to assume that I'm anointing your head with it. Are you there? Okay. Now, having assumed that I'm anointing your head, I anointed your head with it, where do you think that oil will run? Run down. Run down. Where? It will run down through your body. What do you think? Where do you think the oil will run down? Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. So if, if the oil I poured on your head will run down to your body, and if the oil I poured on your head will run down to your body, then how could the psalmist say, he anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over? Then we have to figure out Where's the cup? Where's the cup? And what's the relationship between the cup and the anointing? So today we want to talk about where's the cup? And what's the cup? Thank you very much. What exactly is that cup that runs over? And how does my cup which runs over different from your cup? And how can our cups limit or expand the flow of God's anointing in our lives? What's the size of our cups? Because it is not possible for the cup to run over unless it is what? Full. And so the fullness of the cup depends on the size of your cup. If you have a little cup, 
it will fill much faster. And if you have a big cup, it will take a longer time. So the question is, not only what is your cup, but what size is your cup? Are you there? You're there. He anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. So we have some questions. What exactly is our cup? How does my cup differ from your cup? And how does our cup either limit or expand the flow of God's anointing on our lives? God wants to do some tremendous things for us if we make our cups available. If we make our cups available. So, right on the You've seen the questions on the screen. What are the cups? And now we move to another slide on the screen. But your cup, your cup cannot enlarge. Or your cup cannot enlarge your anointing. Your cup cannot enlarge your anointing. But your anointing can enlarge your cup. Your cup cannot enlarge your anointing, but your anointing can enlarge your cup. As I was seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord and, and meditating on this passage for some time, the Lord brought my mind to the story of the wedding in Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And Brother Jerry, if you have your cell phone, in a short while I'm going to ask you just to read one single verse. One single verse, and that's going to be verse 3. And it has to do with Mary and Jesus and his disciples going to a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and they ran into a challenge. They ran into a challenge. They were there. They went to the wedding in Cana of Galilee. It's interesting that Mary went and Jesus went and he took all 12 of his disciples. Now there are those who believe that the wine ran out because of all those disciples who drank it. <laughs> but um, they were all there. And so Mary, being told what the problem was, would you read that verse? Verse 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Okay. And when the wine ran out, they told Mary. So she obviously was connected to the host. And um, they told Mary, There's no wine. The wine ran out. The wine ran out. The wine ran out. There's no wine. And by the way, and what's the next verse, please? Jesus saith unto her, Women, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Mary says to Jesus, there's no wine. Jesus said, why are you telling me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. What do you think that hour meant? My hour hasn't come. What do you think that meant? For him to do what? 
Okay, what else? My hour has not, why are you telling me there's no wine? My hour has not yet come. What do you think? The hour of his manifestation. He had never performed the miracle. Why are you telling me? Why are you telling me? It is interesting that, first of all, let me ask you a question. How do we define prayer? What is prayer? Huh? Talking to God, talking to God, talking to God, talking to God. And Mary said something to Jesus. What did he say? They ran out of wine. There's no wine. Am I right? Verse 3? Verse 3. And when they were They have no wine. They have no wine. And you just told me that prayer is talking to God. So when Mary was talking to Jesus, was she praying? If prayer is talking to God, was she praying? Was she praying? If prayer is talking to God. But if she was praying, then how many words did she use in that prayer? Huh? Four. They have no wine. Four words. Now, we have a feeling that that is not prayer because you have to you have to do certain things. You have to have some kind of a form. You have to get very spiritual to pray. But Mary is teaching us how to pray, how to talk to Jesus, how to share a need. They have no wine. Simple as that. Did he hear her? Yeah. We don't have to go through all these gyrations in order to communicate with God. She's teaching us how to talk to her son. They have no wine. Simple as that. He heard her. He understood her. And even though he had said to her, my hour has not yet come, the fact that his mother talked to him. If somebody else had told him that, he would have, he would have parked at my hour hasn't come. He would have parked there, parked the car. But the fact that it was his mother who prayed, he said something. He said something. In addition to telling her that his hour had not yet come. And for those in the back, I'm doing a lot of skipping. I'm moving quickly right now to fill the water pots with water. He said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. Fill the water pot. There were six water pots. And he says, fill the water pots with water. And the Bible says they filled them to the brim. To the brim. Fill the water pots with water. Now, if you were one of the servants, because the servants would have known there's no water. Am I right? And the servants, somebody would have told Mary. I mean, there's no wine. Somebody would have told Mary there's no wine. And now, servants hear Jesus saying, fill the water pots with water. What would be going through the servants' mind? What would be going through their mind? And that's slide number six. Slide number six. What's going through their mind? Fill it with water. The, the, are they so drunk 
with wine that if he now gives them water, they wouldn't know the difference? Water. Fill the water pots with water. There's a picture of water pots. Those are the types of water pots they had in those days. Fill them with water. And the Bible says, and they fill them to the brim. They fill them to the brim. To the brim. You can imagine. They ran out of wine for the wedding. Jesus didn't say fill the, the wine bottles. He says, fill the water pots with water. Six water pots. And they filled them to the brim. Now the Bible says that some water pots contained 30 gallons and some contained 25 gallons. So if you mix them up, that would be approximately 150 gallons of wine. That's a lot of wine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a... I mean, if Jesus, if Jesus was not the person who did that miracle, I would, I would have said that person who did it likes wine. That's a lot of wine. There are six water pots, some holding 30 gallons, some holding um, 25 gallons. Fill, fill them, and they fill them to the brim. They fill them to the brim. One of the beautiful things in leadership is to have followers or people who believe in you who can carry out those requests. Because if the servants did not believe in Jesus, they wouldn't have done a thing in terms of putting water in those water pots. They would have said, this man is off. This man is off. But they went ahead and they filled it even though they couldn't comprehend what he was about to do. Sometimes vision, the leader sees a vision, but a leader is blessed if he has people who understand leadership and can follow through with what seems to be so impossible. Because unless you follow through, you'll never see the miracle. Imagine if I had told Tom, Dick, Harry, and their sisters, I prefer to say their sisters than their brothers, if I had told Tom, Dick, Harry, and their brothers and sisters that New Covenant Church, that was 10 years old, is about to buy this campus. First of all, they would have thought we were crazy. And then there were some people who would have blocked us, made it impossible. But there's a dimension of leadership when God gives a vision. You have to let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing until the right hand signs the papers and the ink is dry. And so Jesus said to the, to the Mary said to the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. And they filled the water pots to the brim, to the brim. They filled it up. Um, <clears throat> there are there are cups, and there are cups. I think our cups are made up 
of three different capacities. I'm now at PowerPoint number eight. Our cups, our cups have three dimensions. There are three dimensions in the Godhead. What are the three dimensions of the Godhead? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There are three dimensions in all of us. Body, soul, and what else? Spirit. There are three dimensions of our cups. And it's on the screen, the three dimensions of our cups. Dimension number one is the IQ. Dimension number two is the EQ. Dimension number three is the SQ. Those are the dimensions of which we are made. Just as how there were three for the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, three for body, soul, and spirit. My cup is made up of three dimensions. And it's right there in the screen. It is the IQ, the EQ, and the SQ. Now let's, let's define those. What is the IQ? The IQ is, IQ means what? Intelligence quotient, intelligence. It measures a person's reasoning and problem-solving ability. It's IQ. We all have some dimension of IQ. It gauges. It gauges how well we gather and process information and how well we can use it. It's IQ. The second dimension is the EQ. Just as IQ is intelligence quotient, EQ is emotional intelligence. Emotional. Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence represents one's capacity to be aware of, to control, and to express one's emotions while wisely handling interpersonal relationships, not allowing our emotions to rule us. How, do you, do you, how many of you know that sometimes people's emotions rule them? And they make decisions based on their emotions and not based on their IQ or their intelligence. We make emotional decisions. So we have IQ, intelligence quotient. We have emotional relationships and intelligence. And then we have SQ, and that's slide number 11. SQ is spiritual intelligence. Spiritual intelligence. Now, believers, Christians, have a greater grasp of SQ than many other people. SQ represents one's capacity to be aware of, to control, and to express one's... I'm sorry, I just... I'm sorry, let me go back to... One minute. Spiritual intelligence. Okay. Let's go to slide number, number 12. SQ is that God-given spiritual capacity or balance that allows us, that allows us 
to use our IQ, our EQ, and our SQ at the same time. SQ, spiritual intelligence, allows us to use our IQ, our EQ, and our spiritual sensitivity at the same time. Are you still with me? You're still with me. When I was sharing this with Pastor Bob, he says, you may need to encourage folks to come back on Tuesday night to further discuss this. We have IQ, we have EQ, and we have SQ. IQ is intelligence quotient, EQ, emotional, SQ is spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. You're still with me? Okay. SQ also gives us access. Slide number 13. SQ gives us access to God's thoughts, to his wisdom, and to his will for our lives. We do not capture God's thoughts, his wisdom, and his will for our lives by our intelligence. IQ. We do not capture God's wisdom and his will for our lives by our emotional intelligence. We capture God's will, his thoughts, his purposes for our lives by our spiritual intelligence. That's why Jeremiah Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, he says, I sought for God in the earthquake and he wasn't there. I sought for God in the fire and he wasn't there. I found him in the still small voice. That's the SQ. In the still small voice, in a still small voice. The danger, of course, and this is slide number 15, the danger, of course, is that we sometimes allow our EQ, EQ is what? Emotional. We allow our EQ to override our IQ and our SQ. We allow our emotions to override our intelligence, are you there? And our spiritual consciousness. And so we end up making emotional decisions which create challenges in our lives. Why? Because the balance isn't there. God wants the balance to be there, the IQ and the EQ and the SQ to be working all the time together so that we stay balanced as individuals and we don't make quick, radical, emotional decisions which lead us to bondage. Am I still there? Okay. I'm taking your word for it. I'm taking your word for it. That's, that's the big danger. SQ is a consciousness that Jeremiah discovered in a still small voice. 
Slide number 13, number 18. SQ is a balance in thinking and acting. It is a sense of personal responsibility towards one's place in life and in all of one's relationships. All of one's relationships. Thus, our cup, our cup running over enables us to work with our IQ, our EQ, and our SQ together and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now the big problem, let me try to, is how is this done? It's good to have the right theory, but how do you, how do you reach the point where the IQ, the EQ, and the SQ are working in harmony to accomplish God's purposes. How, how, how is that done? How is that done? We have um, slide 20. The three dimensions of the Godhead. The three dimensions of the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have the three dimensions of our own life, body, soul, and spirit. And there are three dimensions of our cup. Our cup has three dimensions, just as the Godhead has three dimensions. The human being has three dimensions. Our cup has three dimensions. And here are the three dimensions of our cup, which can run over. The first dimension is the C for the cup, and that's the calling, our calling is one of our dimensions of our cup. The second dimension is the you, our uniqueness. Uniqueness. And the third dimension is our potential. Our calling, uniqueness, and potential. If I define, if I define calling, our calling is a clear conviction of a strong divine leading towards the direction, towards the directing of our lives to a particular course of action. Our calling is my sense that something is happening in my life which pushes me to make some critical decisions in a particular direction. You can't have a calling, but no, let me repeat that. To respond to your calling, you have to make the decision to move as God is moving you in a direction. Calling pushes you in a direction that God wants you to be in. Can you see that? You're calling. You're calling. So the C for the cup is the calling. The U is the uniqueness. Just as I have a personal calling, which, is, which has different dimensions than other people's, we're not all called the same way to do exactly the same thing because we have personalities that are different. So there's difference in how our calling is expressed. The you is the uniqueness. We are unique. Unique means that there's nobody else like you. They may try to be like you. They may try to act like you. They may try to pretend that they're you, but they're not you. You're unique. 
So your calling is, your C is the calling, the U is the uniqueness, and the P for the cup is your potential. You have a potential. God has given us a dimension of potential. And that potential is part of our, our calling. It's the journey of the call, the uniqueness of the call, the potential that goes to the call. And I'm, I'm conscious of my time and I'm having the folks up there having some challenges with me because I'm moving in a different direction. Um, they've left me completely. So God, in, in relation to that calling, uniqueness and potential, God leads us by constraining us, constraining us, and not by restraining us. Constraining and not restraining. Constraining is guidance. Restraining is pushing me in a direction against my will. Are you there? When you restrain someone, when you arrest someone, when you force someone to go in a particular direction, that's restraining. God does not restrain us. He constrains, he guides, he leads. And he wants us to have the sensitivity to sense what he is doing. Are you there? He's not going to restrain, he's not going to fight you because he does not take away our will. He doesn't force you to go anywhere. He constrains, he guides, he guards, he directs. That's the nature of God and how he works with us. Constraints, constraints. We are, we have a calling, we have a uniqueness, and we have potential. And um, I wish we had the, the slides because calling, uniqueness, and potential. Think you can remember those three? Calling, uniqueness, and potential. There's a slide that I have there that has a picture of the pioneers, of the people who made up the first congregation of this church. It's there? Yes, there they are. That represents calling, uniqueness, and potential. They were the ones who believed that God had spoken to Pastor Hyacinth and myself. They made up the first service of New Covenant. And as you look at that group, there is calling, uniqueness, and potential and the calling and the uniqueness and the potential is demonstrated. It's all demonstrated by where we are today. Because when those people met in that little room, in a cold, very cold night, could you put the next slide on? 
It shows the heat that we had. Do you have it? Yes. Deacon Moses. Deacon Moses Lockett. Being able to bring in a heater. That single heater gave heat to the whole church. I have, I have saved that slide because Deacon Moe's locket found a way to bring heat into that cold building where we first met. And who would have believed that out of that would come what is. Calling uniqueness and potential. Now, so we all have cups. And our cups are made up of three things. What? Calling. Uniqueness, potential. Am I doing a good job, Deacon? Am I doing a good job? I'm doing good. <laughs> now, the big problem is, you ready for the big problem? That many cups have holes. Many of our cups don't run over because they have holes. And the anointing flows through the holes. And you have to make sure that your cup doesn't have holes or as many holes. Slide number 34 gives you hole number one, is a lack of gratitude which creates a spirit of grumbling and complaining. A lack of gratitude. A lack of gratitude, which creates a spirit of grumbling and complaining. There's some people who just have a complaining spirit. Regardless of what you do for them, they'll find something to complain about. It's a hole in the cup. Can you see, can you see how that creates a hole in the cup. It, 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 it robs us, it robs them of the flow of the anointing because of that big complaining and grumbling hole. The second hole, or hole number two, is fear and anxiety that limits God, limits both your faith in God in God's will for your life. Your, the fear and anxiety that limits both faith and God's will for your life. Afraid, you're afraid. Afraid, risk-taking, no risk-taking. That's a whole. Fear, fear. Hole number three, which is slide number 36. A lack of fully trusting God's ability to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. It's one thing to memorize the verse. 
It's something else to have the faith to believe that God could do that. That God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask. There is nothing you can ask him for that is too big for him. He's able to do what? Exceeding abundantly above anything you can ask. So why do we go through life just asking for small things? Little things. When he says, ask of me. Prove me now. Prove me. Prove me. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that will blow your mind. We keep asking for little things that we ourselves can handle. And we think that our, what we can handle is the extent of what God can handle. What we can dream of is the extent of what God can do. What would happen if we decide to live in the realm of the impossible? This campus is 44 acres in the city. What about in your own life? Sometimes you make quick decisions, emotional decisions, as opposed to really trusting God to turn things around because he's able to do it. Are you still there? He's able to do it. That's whole number. Number two. Did I give you hole number three? So go with hole number four. A lack of initiative. A lack of initiative. Jesus talked about a parable, he says, of the, of the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. The wise ones trimmed their lamps made sure to have enough oil for when the bridegroom came. The other five slept. And so when the bridegroom came and they had no oil, this came to the wise one and says, give me some oil, give me some of your oil. A lack of initiative. Sleeping when they should have been watching, allowing the lamps to burn out. So then the bridegroom showed up they had no more oil. No more oil. Goal number five, a lack of clear communication. What is a lack of clear communication? It creates ongoing dissension and confusion and limitation of progress. We need to speak clearly. We need to communicate clearly. When we don't communicate clearly, we create confusion and then we blame the other people. Whole number six, robbing God of tithes and offerings. I don't think we understand really the, the challenges of robbing God of tithes and offerings. It is not simply stealing, it's robbing. God says, you robbed me. God says, you robbed me of tithes and offerings. 
And when we do that, we never had enough. That's the, that's, that's the interesting thing. When we rob God of what is his, we never have enough. We never have enough. Why? Because we have, we have not made the investment in God. There's a passage that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know that verse. And lean what? Not on your own understanding and what else? In all your ways acknowledge him. You know what that word trust means? It's a banking word. It means make a deposit. There used to be, at least in the Caribbean, a person would go to the store who didn't have any money, but because they're known, they say, I need such and such and such. I want you to trust me. Trust me. Believe that I'm going to come back and pay it. I remember many, many times when the man would come for the rent and my mother didn't have it. And she'd say, trust me, next month you'll have both. I will have the deposits. Trusting God is depositing in God's bank. Every time you tithe, you are making a deposit in God's bank. And he says, when you do that, I will bless you in such a way that it's pressed down and shaken together and running over. But if you don't do that, then that leaves a hole in your cup. What number hole was that? That was number six. Here's number seven. Oh, number seven is a big one, but on your seat belts. Number seven is the unforgiving spirit. An unforgiving spirit. What happens to us as individuals? What happens to our psyche when we refuse to forgive? Peter was beginning to be very spiritual. Peter, he, was, he wanted to imp impress Jesus in terms of how spiritual he was. He says, how often should my brother, should I forgive my brother who is ought against me? Should I forgive him seven times? Seven was maximum. He was showing how spiritual he was. He wasn't just going, forgiving him one time or twice. He says, I'm willing, I'm willing to forgive him seven times. That's the maximum. That's as far as I'm, we can go. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. And why did Jesus say that? Seventy times seven. Forgive him seventy for her. Seventy times seven. Why did Jesus say that? There's a reason. Because that's how often God forgives us. Where would we be if God only forgave us seven times? Seven times. God's willingness and capacity to forgive us is ongoing. He says, if you confess, I will forgive. Jesus said to Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven. Because forgiveness is one of the marks of spiritual maturity. 
And a lack of forgiveness, an unforgiving spirit, puts a hole in your cup, a big hole. And the lack of forgiveness, by the way, also has or creates impacts on your health. He said, for this reason, many are sick among you. If you don't learn to forgive, it will impact your health. It will. It will impact your health. Matthew chapter 18 makes it very clear. You have to learn to forgive. When you forgive someone, you take it off of your mind. You take it out of your emotions. You, 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 you forgive them. That's it. But when you refuse to forgive an unforgiving spirit, it means that that thing, whatever it is, becomes a burden on you, lives with you, stays with you, and creates health problems for you. When the answer is forgive, there is no one, no one who has hurt us as much as we have hurt God. And he does what? When we confess, he does what? He forgives. He forgives. That's the nature of God. He forgives. He forgives. He doesn't, God does not go to bed with the hurt if you've asked for forgiveness. He doesn't go to bed with the hurt. He doesn't allow it to stay on his mind. He doesn't eat up on his emotions. He casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. He casts it in the sea of forgetfulness because you have asked him to forgive you and he responded and he just cast that in the sea of forgetfulness. When we don't forgive, then everything is always on our psyche, on our emotions, on our mind, and creates major health problems. Am I still there? I'm still there. I'm still there. I'm still there. That's a big hole. It's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, unforgiveness. The unforgiving spirit is a judgmental and self-righteous spirit. An unforgiving spirit creates a judgmental and self-righteous person. Person. And that is so far from the nature of God. Regardless of how you sing the songs, how you dance at church, whatever you do, with an unforgiving spirit, with an unforgiving spirit, you're removed from the center of God's grace. Because he does not enjoy pouring grace in cups with big holes. Are we still together? 
unforgiving spirit. Unforgiving spirit creates a root of bitterness. It's judgmental. A root of bitterness. It causes that root of bitterness to grow and produce fruits of bitterness in one's life and in one's relationships. Fruits of bitterness. Fruits. There's, there's, a, there's a saying, there's, a, there's a, a saying in the Caribbean called fire rage. Fire rage. Fire rage means you have harmed me. You, I'm A and you are B. You've harmed me. And so I tell it to see that you've harmed me, which means since, since I'm not talking to him, I'm telling it to you, so you wouldn't talk to him either. And you tell it to D, so that D wouldn't talk to him either. And I'm going over here to E. So you see, I'm passing the fire. I'm passing the hurt. And so I can, have, I can have a number of persons to whom I've passed that fire. And yet, those folks have no clue of what it is that transacted between the two of us. All they know, we aren't talking anymore. But they've caught the flames, they've caught the fire. Am I making sense to you? Yes, sir. It's called fire rage, passing the fire rage. Now, how easier and more healthy and more spiritual it would have been if I had just said, he hurt me, but I'm going to forgive him. It frees me, and I have nothing to pass. Are you there? I have nothing to pass, because I have, I've handled it. I've handled it spiritually. I've taken it out of my psyche. It's no longer having emotional problems for me. It's not impacting my health anymore. I've, I've given it to God. I've allowed God to, to put it in his, his sea of forgetfulness. Bitterness. Bitterness. The bitter roots. It impacts our IQ. Bitterness impacts our EQ, our emotions. And bitterness impacts our spirituality. Bitterness is like an acid that corrodes its container. It corrodes its container. The slide, there's a plant that I have on a slide. Let's show it shortly. That plant, that little plant grows right by the side of our house. It's, uh, if you're going from our back door to our front door, the walkway, a little plant growing right at the edge of the walkway and right at the side of the house. It's just a plant. But the other day, I went out, I was passing and I saw it again. And so I, I took a picture, what you're seeing in, in, the, in the gray, Behind that, that's the side of our home. And the black there is the walkway, the sidewalk. That little plant, that little plant is an oak. It's an oak. It's the beginnings of an oak tree. 
We have oak trees on this campus that are 300 years old. 300. If that plant is allowed to grow, it will break the sidewalk and break the wall of the house. Because that's how oaks develop. As a matter of fact, some of the oaks on this campus were planted in the 1700s. And some of them have metal plates with their numbers. They were planted in the 1700s. They're big, they're massive, they're massive. That has the potential to be massive because it's an oak. It's an oak. It's a little oak. It's a small oak, but it's an oak. So what would happen if I just left it there to become its natural self? It would break everything. That's what bitterness does. That's what an unforgiving spirit does. It develops and develops. It develops, it develops, it grows. It, it just starts that little thing. It starts very small, but because of its own DNA, it forces its way to develop. That's why, my friends, we need to forgive. Because the spirit of unforgiveness is like an oak starting small, but developing in our spirits, it will consume our thoughts, it will, con it will take over our agenda. We'll see everyone through the eyes of that oak. I wish we had um, time to talk. <laughs> I really do. I wish we had time to get feedback for you to to identify what it is that you're hearing and, and what is it you're taking home. If there's one thing you, I want you to take home is ask God for the spirit of forgiveness. It's too much of a burden for you to carry. Jesus doesn't want you to carry unforgiveness like a cross. Forgive, forgive. Oh, by the way, there's another reason why you should forgive, a big one. Ready for it? That reason why you should forgive is what you tell God almost every day. You give God the reason why he shouldn't forgive you. You give him the reason. And Jesus made sure that in the Lord's Prayer, he placed that phrase in there. And forgive us our trespasses as we, as we, as we. You for, God, you forgive me as I forgive those who trespass against me. Which means if I don't forgive them, don't forgive me. Some of you right here, right now, believe that you've been forgiven. 
you happen? Because every day when you pray that prayer, you're reminding God of the condition. And forgive us our trespasses, just as we forgive those who trespass against us. So if I have a spirit of bitterness, I refuse to forgive, then I'm telling God, don't forgive me. Is the logic there? It's there. It's there. It's there. It's there. It's there. It's the cross that you're carrying. Let the cross go. Jesus carried his. You let the cross grow. Because, you see, if you don't give up the cross, and I'm getting a revelation right now, if you don't give up the cross of the unforgiving spirit, you'll end up in the tomb. If you give up the cross, of, then you'll survive the tomb. But if you hang on to the cross of unforgiveness, you'll end up in the tomb. Am I still there? Let me wind up. Here's what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 17, he says, but I will restore you to health and healing of your hurts, declared the Lord. I will restore you to health and healing. And healing your hurts. I will restore you to health and the healing of your hurts. I will restore you to health and the healing of your hurts. But it all depends on whether I can cast my hurts in the sea of God's forgetfulness. In God's forgetfulness. Because God wants us to live in peace. He doesn't want us to burden, be burdened down with the fire age of passing my hurts to somebody else. He wants us to demonstrate that spirit of Jesus. Every one of us will be hurt at some point or another if you live in this life. The question is, how do you handle it? How do you allow your IQ to handle it? How do you allow your emotional maturity to handle it? How do you allow your spirituality to handle it? So what is, what is IQ again? Intelligence quotient. What is EQ? Emotional. And SQ is your spiritual sensitivity. Allow your spiritual sensitivity to rule over your emotions. Allow your spiritual sensitivity to rule over your emotions and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bury your hurts in the sea of God's forgetfulness. 
Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.